0: Hi, everyone. This is Steve Hargadon, and welcome to the Future of Education. It's Thursday, December third, two 2009. At least it is in the US. And our guest tonight is Curtis Bach. And the topic is, the world is open. So Curtis, welcome. Sure glad to have you here.
1: The world is indeed open. And uh, by the end of tonight, maybe you'll get a global view.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, I hope, hope to- traveling man's been with me all around the world, so he knows the world's uh, open. So I can
0: tell tonight it's going to be fun. I feel like I'm talking to an old friend. I, I was thinking back of the interviews I did with EdTech Live, and I did all of those open source interviews with Richard Stallman and Brian Bellendorf and the like, and I love that you have this great section on open source. And then so many of the examples that you use in the book are people that I've interviewed over the last year so. Uh, you, either I interviewed them or they're, I'm going to interview them now that I've read about them in the book.
1: You know, it's interesting that both of us bump into the same people, which means that maybe there's this defined space of the people in open education today. And, you know, the people on your playlist coming this spring and those that appeared in the fall are just phenomenal. I mean, I'm looking at the list and saying, how do you get all these people? But then... I thought about when I wrote my book, and I had to get the same kind of people, and you just write them an email, and there they are.
0: You know, I think the early adopters of these open technologies have tended to be highly collaborative people, and so there is a, this sort of bond in the community of, hey, to the degree that we can, uh, we're willing to
1: help. Exactly. People will put forth the effort and they, in 9 out of 10, and I actually did a little blog post on how to get a hold of some of these people. You know, what were the tricks and tips that I had, Ah. if anyone's interested in that? (laughs) I'm going to look that up. (laughs) (laughs) There's like 10 or 20 uh, tips that I point out and how I was able to get most people. Uh, Only the guy uh, that developed Ning. He was hard, uh, Mark Andreessen. He was hard Ah. to get a hold of. He built Netscape. If you've got an in with him, let me know.
0: I've interviewed Mark. In fact, I interviewed Mark (laughs) twice because... The first time I interviewed him, the recording software uh, collapsed on me, and I didn't know it until it was done. I had to go back to him and say, "Can we re-record?" But Mark's a busy guy, and uh, I actually did some consulting work for Nang for about eighteen months, so I do have a tie there. And uh, you know, I can make a I can make the introduction. That doesn't mean he's necessarily <laughs> going to do it. <laughs> hey, I'm going to do a brief intro before we get too far here. All right, and uh, and, and because it's going to be too much fun, if, uh, we'll want to skip it unless I do it now. So uh, futureofeducation.com is sponsored by Illuminate and Learn Central. Learn Central is my new sort of passion project that I do for Illuminate. Uh, we like to call it the, the Learn Central 3. It's Facebook, Like, in Scope. It's a social network for educators. It has Illuminate baked in. Not only can you connect with others through the same environment for free that we're using tonight, but you can actually run your own webinars for free. And, uh, and some are doing it, it's a lot of fun. Howard Reingold, Joyce Valenta, we're having a ball. So there are others, and uh, if you want to join that group, please let me know. And there's great, easy content sharing using Creative Commons licensing. So hopefully we're providing a way for you to share with each other. Coming up on Conversations.net and Future of Education this Tuesday, lots of fun with Frontline's Digital Nation. Rachel Dretzen, we've had on before, uh, is going to talk us through their new project and show, Digital Nation. Angela Myers on the 9th on Classroom Habitudes. Elizabeth Cotta, whom I don't know, but uh, emailed, who's written a book on virtual schooling. January 6th, Ken Robinson. That should be a blast. Um, Alan Michelle from Home Inc. Daniel Pink. James Paul G and many others coming up. So lots of fun and hope you'll stay tuned. If this is your first time in Illuminate we want to help make sure that you know how to participate here. This is a participative environment so there are ways for you to interact. You'll see at the bottom of the participant window you have these little emoticons that let you put a smiley face up or clap You can do a confused face. I think with Curt and all of his little toys tonight, we're going to see a fair use of the emoticons. That'll be our way of responding to him. If you would like to ask a question, Uh, You can place it in the chat at any time during the show. When we go to Q&A, you can actually also raise your hand using that hand icon with the green up arrow. If you think you'd like to ask a question using the microphone, do go up to Tools Audio and run the Audio Setup Wizard to make sure your microphone is configured correctly. Nothing worse than getting called on and not being able to speak, and then we miss what you had to say. Uh, You can send messages to each other at the bottom of the chat window. With a group of this size, I recommend you go up to Tools no, sorry, View Layouts and select the Wide Layout Format. It's a little easier to read the chat, it doesn't go by as fast in that in that layout. Um, and then when you do get the mic and you want to talk, in that audio box down at the very bottom, you'll see a, a larger microphone icon. That's the button you push to turn your microphone on, and it's a toggle. So you toggle it on and then you toggle it off. To the right where we have the slide that says a quick orientation, that's the whiteboard. We're not going to use it much time, but we are going to let you now uh, indicate where you're listening from. You should see a map come up on your screen, and I'm going to give you permissions to modify the map. And if you click on the wand with the red star at the end, just to the left of the map, you can then click on the map and let us know where you're listening from. You can also uh, indicate in the chat where you are and what the time and temperature are. It looks like our India contingent is not here tonight. We're going to miss them. <laughs> but uh, New Zealand, a couple from New Zealand, looks like, um, uh, where is that in Europe? Just shout out where you're listening from. Glad to have you here.
1: Jessica, I'll be up in Wisconsin in two weeks, my homeland. I'm glad to see you got snow, but we don't. We we'll got Houston you Rob to. in a couple of weeks, twice, uh, January and February shoot me a note. Of course, Ted's here in Bloomington. I'll be in Atlanta in May, uh, March uh, 11th, 10th, 11th, uh, Skodat. Marquette, Michigan, no way. (laughs) Jeremy, good to have you from Akron. Good to see you there, Jeremy.
0: Okay, I'm just going to leave now that you take over (laughs) because you're so darn good at this. I don't think you're going to need me. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Bernie Dodge is in the in the house. <laughs> <laughs> oh
0: yeah, and Bernie, we just, I just read your name in the book as well. <laughs> Delightful to have you here. Okay, so I'm going to turn this map off, although it's been really fun to see where you're listening from. And we're going to move forward. So this is really fun, Kurt, and and like I said, this is like uh, connecting with an old friend. Uh, Really been a delight for me to look through the book and and get a sense of what you've done. Uh, I love your office. I lost your video. Did you try that video
1: off? Uh, By mistake. Let me try it again here. Sorry.
0: Hey, Luis from Brazil all the way to the bay. Glad to have someone from
1: Brazil here. Should be back, right? Now,
0: to see Kurt larger in the video, please click on his image. So if you're seeing him smaller and me larger, just click on his image and it makes him larger. Okay, so uh, I love your office. It reminds me of mine. I joke a lot about the fact that in this paperless society, I might print way more than I ever have before. I actually went and bought a little Intel uh, uh, netbook. I'm trying to remember what the model is, because it's a tablet. It's one of these tiny little netbooks that's a tablet, and I can have a PDF reader on it. And I'm trying to collect my PDFs on that and read them actually on that rather than printing them out. But uh, like you, I have way more paper than I ever did. So it's fun to see that, and I appreciate you making me feel better in that way. So why don't we start by having you tell us just a little bit about yourself. Uh, uh, Where are you, what do you do, and uh, what keeps you busy?
1: You want the three-word bio? He does stuff, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> snow in Houston. Snow in Houston. There we go. So we got some uh, die-hard people trying to stay out of the snow down in Texas. I'll, I'll be down there in January, February. Um, I'm a former accountant or CPA he turned into an educational psychologist a couple of decades ago, and started teaching at West Virginia University in Morgantown back in 89 and then moved to Indiana in 92 and about a few years ago I moved into instructional technology, my third career. So first um, accounting, CPA, then uh, Ed Psych and now instructional technology and now fourth career as a writer and speaker I guess. Is that enough? enough.
0: Well there's going to be lots more. I'm wondering if you might turn your microphone up just a little. There's a slider there and tr- if you would, just slide sure. your microphone up. just Sure ahead. thing.
1: How's that? I've, is that a little better too to much? That's
0: great to If you can hear Kurt well, just click on the smiley face and let us know that uh, right. he's coming
1: through live there for you.
0: All right. So how is the res- when did the book come out?
1: You want a little story about the book. Um, yes. Four years ago, I was invited to do a keynote at the eLearn conference in Vancouver and was looking for a topic. And I had just flipped through Thomas Friedman's World is Flat book. And, you know, I said, well, about a third of the way through the book he covers educational topics. You know, he he talks about uh, Brian, uh, how do you say his name, Billendorf. Um, He talks about, you know, Blogger and Wikipedia and all sorts of things, but the next two-thirds of the book he doesn't. And I said to myself, you know, someone needs to kind of capture what's going on in education. And so I wrote to Friedman, actually, and we chatted about things, and I was going to do an edited book of people who changed the world. And he connected me with his publisher and so forth, and a small publisher in uh, Tampa, Florida convinced me to write the book myself, since I had a lot of contacts, so I wrote the book myself. And initially the book was titled, The World is Open, Now We All Learn With, Upside Down, with Web Technology. But as you'll notice, that did not end up being the title of the book. (laughs) They changed it from, uh, you know, the world is open now we all learn with web technology to the world is open how web technology is revolutionizing education. And if you can't read that, the preprint is much better to read. This is the galley. I don't know what they did here with the book, but that's another story. so I end up doing this book, and I end up writing two books, and there will be a free book. I am um, I had to cut half of the stuff out, and it's going to go to the World is Open website, worldisopen.com website, and uh, already there's a prequel up, a postscript up, and there will be a free ebook called The World is More Open, an extension of this book, and it will have the same chapters, the same sequence, just different content, because there's so much happening. So... Um, yeah, I just lost your video for some reason. I don't know, you're giving a tour. Okay, that's why. Uh, so there, there's so much happening out there, and that's basically what I'm trying to make sense of what's going on in terms of technology. So the WE ALL LEARN model stands for 10 openers in education, 10 things that have happened to open up uh, education for anyone. Now anyone can learn anything from anyone else at any time. So that's basic premise. My other book that came out a year ago has more applied. It's more micro. It has a hundred strategies for teaching online which Ted just referred to earlier. It has a model. Do you still see my camera by the way?
0: Yes, I can still see you. In fact okay. I'll take the web down just so people know that they've seen the site.
1: Yeah. So the other book that came out last summer, Empowering Online Learning, is more of a micro book with a hundred activities in it. So there's a micro and a macro, and I think, and it has a model called R2-D2 and I wear a Jedi Knight outfit and I have Star Wars stuff and so forth. But um, so I'm, I'm just trying to find ways that people don't get frustrated or overwhelmed with what all's happening. And so the, the premise, that was the premise, is to point out that learning just doesn't happen in classrooms; that it extends all around the world. And I can learn from rugby players at UCLA, and. Uh, 17-year-olds sailing around the world, and maybe um, I can learn from people who are in nursing homes somewhere, and they can learn from me. So that's, that's kind of the basic premise. I'm not out necessarily to reform or restructure schools. I'm more into explaining what's possible.
0: So why do you think that feels new? I mean, I, uh, clearly the web makes a difference here, but the idea that we could learn from
1: a 17-year-old or from a rugby player,
0: didn't we believe that before?
1: Sure, but we didn't know that there were literally um, hundreds or maybe thousands of ways for it to happen. We could all do correspondence previously. In fact, I did correspondence and TV courses to get into graduate school at Madison. And then I developed TV courses 20 years ago. But now we have so many options. We. There, there are a lot of people that ignored the one or two options. It's hard to ignore things anymore today, and uh, but we also don't want to be overwhelmed, so we need a way to make sense of those options, and so that's, I think, what I'm providing. I'm trying to get people excited about learning and education, and instead of being bored in their learning process, to point out the ways in which they can find information on their own, self-directed learning, as well as within formal settings.
0: OK, so I, I'm I'm becoming convinced that you were actually maybe a drama major and didn't mention that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I
1: wish. <laughs> so I think
0: the word that comes to mind in, in reading the book is prolific. So there's just no question in my mind that you feel very comfortable writing. Is that accurate?
1: It's done a lot this year. Um, I, yeah, I want to. I want to do more writing. I like writing, but the, you know, as a faculty member, that's not all that we do. Uh, but yeah, uh, I have fun with it.
0: Sure. Well, so this book is. I'm pulling my copy out now. It's 400 and some odd pages long. You've got a, the. I printed out, but I haven't read yet. The prequel and the postscript, and now you're saying you've got a whole other e version. You know, how many hours a day are you writing? Almost
1: all, if I can, sure, as much as possible. I'm teaching, you know, the, the normal course load here, but uh, I just try and allocate my time and weekends, whatever.
0: So, so I think yeah. that's one of the things that people that educators will often say to me is, how do how do people find the time to do this? So, as part of that, as part of the answer, that this is becoming a part of of who you are and then, in fact, when you're writing, you're actually producing material for the other professional things that you do?
1: Always. You know, I mean, always. And I, I also have a little side company. We sell some software, but I get some support people that kind of help me find things and post things. And so I have a, a, a couple of people that do help out in the background that don't necessarily show up. Yeah. But, you know, acting, sure, We, you know, I, I believe <laughs> that, you know. Uh, we're all pirates in one way or another and we find a lot of stuff online. You know, in the in the past we all called this pirating, today we call it sharing. So that prequel in the book is called sharing the journey. And it's really about the decades of evolution in terms of sharing. And I think teachers' jobs, Ted's job here in 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 Bloomington, Indiana, is going to be sharing content. It's going to be written right into the job description in the in the coming years. So you Well, know. so my brother teaches at University
0: of California, Davis. And he tells me that he feels like there's a real dilemma in that in trying to get tenure, you're evaluated on what you've done individually, whereas the the best work that he does is highly collaborative. Does that exist in your world too, that tension?
1: It does, and it exists really at Big Ten universities without a doubt. And I don't see it as much, maybe, in others. At Wisconsin, I know I wanted to collaborate with people who basically told me they can't. So, you know, higher ed still suffers from that, but not to the degree it did 20 years ago when I started. Things have changed, uh, but almost all things that I I do, except invited, are collaborative endeavors. I've got colleagues. You know, I, I, I think we're all global educators today. Your, your peers are going to be around the world. Uh, your colleagues as teachers are around the world. People ask you questions come from around the world. The more open you are, the more you see yourself as someone who's an international educator or global educator. So we'll, we'll,
0: we'll jump ahead just for a second, and then I want to d- definitely go back to the openers. But two, two things that occurred to me, one of which is, I don't think this is just happening in academia. I think there's a tension between collaborative sharing and uh, cooperation and competitiveness in the business world that's playing itself out a little as, as marketing changes and as companies can't hide behind uh, silence as much. Um, would you, do you see that happening as well?
1: Yeah, in fact, if you've got Don Tapscott's book, you know, Growing Up Digital, he gets into some of that, but his Wikinomics book even more so. And so he explains what companies like Best Buy and Intel and IBM are doing to foster collaboration that basically didn't happen previously. You know, when I was a CPA, we had to hide stuff. We, we weren't allowed to uh, share. We were the, the watchdog of the company. And I, you know, I was frustrated with that. And so that's part of the reason I left is to become someone who can share and does share content because uh, it was definitely not allowed and, and we see it today with companies uh, like uh, Deloitte putting up videos on what's your Deloitte, you know, they're they're trying to attract people into the companies by sharing the company mottos and logos throughout the world. And, and you know, in the past it was very secretive what happened at Deloitte or other big uh, eight accounting firms now, big five or six or whatever still exists. But yeah, collaboration is in Google Documents and Ning and you know Wiki Spaces and PP wiki I mean that's basically what companies are starting to rely on today. Uh, so there's a sh- there's is a shift over that's happening.
0: Yeah, and that also was sort of my second thought in your predictions. Was I'm I'm wondering if there's going to be uh, any. I want to use the word pushback, but I don't think that's fully accurate. I'm noticing that a lot of people are co-opting the language of Web 2.0 and social media who don't really understand it, and that there's this confusion, that we were in this sort of gray space where all of a sudden all of these people who weren't necessarily inherently collaborative are coming in, co-opting the terms, and then kind of uh, confusing us.
1: Oh, yeah. If you were ever, ever at any corporate conferences in 1999, 2000, 2001 you'd see all these companies trying to promote their smart knowledge with the company or, you know, uh, knowing knowledge. I mean, they had all these companies. If you didn't have the word smart or knowledge or collaboration in your company, uh, you didn't exist, but they didn't have products. They'd grab you into their booths, but they had nothing to sell. So they had magicians, they had guys on stilts, you know, they had um, flame eaters and contortionists at their booths, and yet they had no product. And I think we see some of that still today. They they used the words when you went there, but when I asked them to define collaborative learning, none of the Booth Babes, I hate to say Booth Babes, I don't mean to sound discriminatory, but that's what they called them, none of them could define what, it, what learning was or what collaboration was. So we have a lot of corporates that throw out terminology without understanding what it means. Uh, and as someone who's stepped into both worlds, coming from corporate into Ed Psych, uh, I kind of find it fascinating uh, and yet it's a little bit depressing at the same time. So, it's you know, when people know. yeah, go ahead.
0: I want to let you finish your thought.
1: Well, when people, you know, try and sell us on something like social networking and they don't understand what it is. When they try and sell us on uh, virtual worlds and virtual spaces, they don't uh, necessarily have been in there. They they don't uh, they don't know what it really takes to coordinate a book project. These things are not simple. They're not easy. They're very complex in nature. So I think even something like a wiki has been oversold in terms of the simplicity of use um, and teachers need more understanding and training for what what's possible. Yeah, I've wondered if, um, if
0: one of the great historic contributions of Twitter may not be some of the things that we think currently, but just the fact that it, it it's created a degree of transparency. It's kind of like it's broken down the secrecy barriers. That it, 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 um, it's made communication or microblogging so available to the general population that you can't, as Clay Shirky said, you know, you can't get stuck on an airplane and and have it be covered up, or you can't be, you know. Um, repressing certain kinds of demonstrations because people will be able to get on Twitter and create some uh, information about that. I'm just fascinated to think about uh, what's going to happen there. In fact, that's the genesis of the Conversations.net uh, interview series that's starting up for me now, which is just looking at how these technologies impact beyond education, just culture and society. Okay, so let's go. And out.
1: I'll just briefly comment on that. In the ebook extension, I talk about Iran and what happened with Twitter and and uh, all the social networking tools they had and text messaging to form groups and to rally against uh, what they thought were unjust uh, politics and you know, an unjust election. So, um, and I see Ted's talking about the use of Moodle, so uh, there is a story about <laughs> Moodle in the book. Um, so, Moodle. I get yeah, it. <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, so, you know, Mart- Martin uh, is a friend of mine. Martin self-trained in the Outback, the guy who developed Moodle, the Moodle man. And uh he came to see me at Duke's Supper Club in Waikiki in two thousand and three in June to see if we'd partner together and It was nobody was using Moodle at the time. very few people if you look at the curve, I made a big mistake by saying, "No, I'm not going to partner with you, but uh, Moodle's just taken off around the world i actually talk about Moodle in an article in China. Uh, I think one university alone had 10 people doing dissertations on Moodle, uh, you know, and so it's, it's a phenomenon that people can't ignore. Twitter's a phenomenon people can't ignore, so it's opened people up to the fact that we share people share a kindness of heart happens. People create code for other human beings out there without pay uh, for maybe reputation or maybe to uh, enhance the field to maybe uh, make a product that's you know usable by other folks. I'm sorry so let's go to your questions.
0: Well no, and and, and I'll actually play on that just for a second because uh, you talk about that in the book uh, free learning zones and I thought what we're doing tonight Pretty much exemplifies that. You know why would you know why would you agree to come on tonight? Why would I do this for free? You know what are the motivations? And you know in part because um, I I love doing it. In part because I think it builds reputation and brand for me. For you, it hopefully extends your audience. For those who are uh, for Illuminate, it's publicity, so they're glad to provide the service. And, you know, I do work for Illuminate, so I, it's a nice little fit there. Um, are, is what we're doing tonight part of that free learning zone?
1: Yeah, it's uh, kind of epitomized in that final opener, number 10, in some ways, when I talk about World Bridges and Jeff LeBeau and what he's doing with EdTech Talk and Teacher Talk. I mean, that's, you know, totally, he's he's designed that himself. He He's doing something good for the world. He's... Promoting you know, innovative ways to use technologies for anyone that wants to show up that has a connection. I do make a point in the book that you don't necessarily need the internet to be impacted by the internet, that you could be in western China and people may sign up on the web to take one kilogram of stuff with them to come out to visit kids in rural schools in western China in the 1kg project or in the Twin Books Project, they buy a book online and one's given to kids in Western China. So you don't need the internet per se. There's some fiction about the digital divide. All you need is to be in a area where there's a foundation that's being served by the uh, internet, by the web. And so the 1KG Project, people bring one kilogram of stuff with them to Western China, but, that it, but it's not the one kilogram of stuff that matters. It's the fact that they go and kids make connections and find out about new careers from travelers that come to visit them that's fascinating you see and, and that that's there's some power in the web the room to read project you know John Woods project where people might donate time money or talent on the web without the web necessarily impacting kids in Nepal or, or Thailand or, or Tibet uh, it, it does but it but it wouldn't have to
0: well, yeah I often will say to people uh, that this is not a lot different than volunteering for the Red Cross or being a part of Rotary it just happens to be in the digital world where the end result is uh, eternally copyable that it's uh, you, you know um, ultimately um, more um, easily disseminated than anything else you could do sure hey so the the favorite line of yours in the book for me was this We are on the cusp of massive cognitive, social, and behavioral changes resulting from thoughtful use of technology-enhanced learning. This will set in motion a quantum leap in the evolution of our species. So, exaggeration, real, how are you feeling about that line now?
1: You know, in fact, I studied human development and human learning both at Wisconsin. And when when you think about most human learning or development theories, they stop short at about age 12. You know, and, and they really don't venture much beyond that to speculate where we're going next. So if we look at possible stage 5 of Piaget, stage 6, or other models, and we're living longer, you know, and, and people are, by year 2070, most people will be going to school till age 28 to 30, okay? Uh, when we think about what might be possible as a species when we are connected and we have you know, terabyte flash memory sticks attached to our bodies and basically all the known knowledge is somewhere within, you know, on our person, right, and we're able to access all the videos possible on the web through our mobile phones somehow, right, and they have bendable, bendable screens, bendable text or fold-out screens. Um, who we are as human beings extends to the, to the technology, but also we will have, I guess, different problem-solving requirements problem-finding requirements, synthesis skills, and decision-making that, you know, systemic reasoning is is going to be more uh, important than ever before. So, yeah, I I think uh, all those predictions are probably way too conservative, in fact, uh, in the book, and that's typically what happens in any book where people predict the future. Pretty much nothing I talk about in that book existed 15 years ago, and most of it didn't exist five years ago.
0: So I was surprised to find, in a book that was so deeply resonant with my own experiences, that I actually uh, didn't fully agree with the what you called it um, quarter-century learning clubs, because I wondered if we're not going to find learning more embedded in actual work environments. That, that is, is it a possible alternative theory that it, rather than going to school for 25 or 30 years, that will Put be placed in more apprenticeship kind of learning and work environments where the learning is embedded in what we do.
1: Yeah, you'll hear that when you get John Seeley brown this spring, right? You have him coming in? Oh, I've done him already, but in, had, actually
0: yeah. twice now. And, he, and, and of course, I, I'm highly informed by him since he's one of my heroes.
1: Yeah, so yeah, you're, you know, that is an alternative model, but it could be a both-and model as well. You know, we will see this century become named, I think, uh, during the latter half of this century. They'll call it the learning century. Which means uh, both formal learning will expand in many ways, access and so forth, and uh, who your colleagues are as you grow up or who your peers are will expand well beyond your neighborhood. But at the same time, embedded learning within a work setting, of, you know, of course, whether we're wearing lens goggles to repair helicopters and airplanes, or we're getting just on uh, in time on demand kinds of learning as a uh, you know, an accountant, a uh, marketing agent, or wh- whatever we, we might happen as a job. So which of those will be more prevalent, the uh, on-demand uh, learning on at, at the side um, in the workplace or extended academic? Um, I'll venture to say we're going to see both, uh, and that's where I'll stick, stick my, uh, <laughs> my money. That's <laughs> a good answer. My, I'll stick my million dollars <laughs> on that one. And if people want Christmas money, we'll go with Santa Claus
0: money. Oh, That's funny. Is.
1: Yeah. Oh, a million dollars. OK. <laughs> so you are definitely setting
0: the bar for guests on the show. There's no question about it. <laughs> hey, well, I thought of a couple of other things. And it was, we'll, we'll stick with the predictions just for a moment. Yeah. Uh, one of which was sort of a rise in entrepreneurship. Are you seeing that same trend of kind of the m- mini factory model of the ability to position yourself in the long tail somewhere and become productive in a way that wasn't possible 10-15 years ago
1: personally are you asking
0: well I'm asking if, if that's that's a prediction I'm making would that fit with the predictions that you made in the book
1: it would fit. I mean, you see people like Robin Good, you know, uh, who interviewed me last week, I guess, or put something up last week out in Italy, who's internationally known, top 2,000 blogger. He's in the, he's in the higher part of the long tail, I guess, uh, upper end. But, uh, you know, people like Robin, and his self-name, Robin Good, Robin Hood, uh, steals from the you know, uh, public publication companies and gives to the rest of us.
0: <laughs>
1: you know, and he's been able to make a name for himself and, oc- and really his whole occupation wraps around the internet. Um, you know, I, this is part of what I do. I'm still a professor out there and, and many other hats that I wear. I've given up a few hats. It gets a little bit compli- complicated, let's put it that way.
0: The other trend that occurred to me, and, and maybe I missed it or, um, or maybe it was just in a different realm, was the sort of the change in innovation where there's this sort of a really rapid capability, like tonight where we're seeing everybody in the chat and you and I talking, where the dissemination of ideas and the sharing of ideas is just happening so fast. And it seems to me it's speeding up the process, both of technological and of social change.
1: It does happen so fast and, and that's what makes it confusing for people and, and many people opt out. And that's why the We All Learn model or the R2D2 model or whatever models that other people design are important so that they can pull in a new announcement that happens whether there's a new way to search through Google Books which the HathiTrust announced last last week, right? Or Larry Sanger announced a new website for kids' uh, videos, um, something Watch TV or something like that. So anyways, you find all these new... You know, Larry Sanger built Wikipedia or his initial designer of, of Wikipedia with Jimmy Wales. Jimmy Wales, by the way, dropped out of Indiana to create Wikipedia, so I tell my oh. students drop out and make a name for yourself, but...
0: Um, hey, where was Mark uh, so, yeah, Andreessen?
1: He was at Illinois. He's a Wisconsin oh, guy, uh, grown up in Wisconsin and born in Iowa, bo- uh, grew up in Wisconsin, then went to Illinois for his, uh, his degrees.
0: Yeah. Okay, so well, let's get back to the ten trends. I'll, I'll, now we're halfway through the interview, and we're just starting. Um, yeah. I kind of I loved it that you used the Vicky Davis story, and I'll tell you, it, uh, it, it early on in the book because I think it uh, captured a little bit of the fear that even you could have in this environment. In part, you know, if everything that we do is watched, so do you want to tell that story briefly and kind of comment on how it relates to what you're talking about?
1: Yeah, on Monday one week I went to Washington D.C. to do a talk, maybe it was Sunday night, gave a talk, flew home, and then was back in D.C. a day and a half later on Wednesday and had to give more talks and my friend Nan picks me up downtown and takes me to Northern Virginia Community College to do talks for her faculty at the end of doing some talks for a, an assistive uh, technologies conference or a special education conference. And I'm I'm giving a talk to the faculty, and as it ended, immediately I looked behind me, and my students were on the screen right behind me for my class was starting. I'm in Virginia. They're in Indiana, video conferencing full motion. So I did my class. Next morning, I got on a plane to go back home to Indiana, realizing full well, on Friday I was going to Atlanta for four talks that I wasn't ready for. I gave three I was exhausted after three. Had new shoes on. I went to take a break. We got a ten-minute break. I came back and there's nobody in the room. It's dead. I mean, maybe three, four people. And this woman walks up to the front and she <laughs> says, "Kurt, can I web stream you? Can I, can I you stream you?" And I said, "What's you stream?" And she said, oh, "I put this little webcam up, and I, you know, and and there you are. I'm I, I'm showcasing you to the world. And I have a little webcam. So she puts a little webcam up there and you know, and there I am, I go, well, that could be a billion people watching, so sure, you know, I was dead tired, and I got a lot of energy, I didn't have many props left to kind of throw at the audience at the time, so I thought this was great, and she said, let me, let me Twitter you and blog post you, and I said, what's your name? She says, Cool Cat Teacher, and I said, oh my God, not Cool Cat Teacher, and Sure enough, up comes Bernie Dodge asking a question within seconds, and um, thank you, Bernie, for doing that. And and then my student Jennifer Madrell says, uh, "Tell Kurt." And Jennifer does EdTech Talk uh, with uh, Jeff LeBeau at uh, at World Bridges, and she says, "We're in New York City, and we've got I don't know 100 people in the audience here, and we're watching the UStream. We're Ustreaming streaming the UStream?" So I had three people in Atlanta, maybe five, you know, and I got 100 people. 600, 700, 800 miles away watching live at another conference. So I said you know, this is phenomenal, you know, and so I thought how about we have Live Ed instead of you know Farm Aid or Live Aid we have Live Ed and we get people from around the world on Ustream and we're all around the world educating each other on the fly as we go. Anyhow, you know, when you combine Twitter, blog posting, Ustream, you know, uh, and my PowerPoint presentation and whatnot, all at one crack. I mean, it's, uh, and, and you think about the previous days where I was giving talks and, and uh, it was it was a pretty amazing week and that happens all the time.
0: Well, I think what I liked about it was that you communicated both, you know, some of the fear of that, which is I'm not really fully prepared and, you know, at the worst possible moment, someone wants to stream me out to the web.
1: <laughs> and like, like you coming with uh, the flu, right? You know, that, right. You know so <laughs> and,
0: and then the show must go on. But then sort of the sense of, um, OK, I'm going to do this. And, you know, it seemed to me you showed the vulnerability and a lot of what we feel. And I think a lot of what educators are feeling this kind of fear about what's taking place. But also the sense of, OK, well, let's try it. Let's see what happens. So um, there's a line in the book that I think you claim sums it up. Anyone can now learn anything from anyone at any time. So we don't have a lot of time to go through the ten openers, but do you want to give the mnemonic and kind of talk about the broad view of why people should read those chapters?
1: Yeah, so those ten openers, in in effect, you know, web searching in the world of e-books and e-learning and blended learning form the we, you know, availability of open source software starts the L, and then we get into leveraging your contents, the MIT stuff on the web. And you can go to worldisopen.com and get all 10, and it'll go through what what the openers mean. But maybe it might be better for me to tell a couple, you know, of important pieces of what I see within those 10 openers. That might be a Perfect. better way to go. To go. You know, and, and actually I brought my little... Uh, this little globe of the world, you know, the world being open, Well, this little smart globe from uh, Oregon Scientific has a way for you to put a flash memory stick in here. It's got a USB port so you can update it and so you, you basically can, can click on parts of the world and you can find out what time it is, you can find out about economy, you can find out about history, language, geography, and so forth. So when our, when our globes become digitized, if you will, the world is truly open anyhow. Uh, the, the first opener I thought was the least important. I thought it was junk, you know, I was actually hesitant to put it in there, that's web searching in the world of eBooks. And this past summer has become the summer of the eBook. I mean, if anything has happened since the book came out in July, it's opener number one. And I was really shocked about that. I didn't expect that to happen at all. And so we see uh, new announcements from Barnes and Noble, new readers, in effect, and we've got the cooler reader being panned. But, you know, we've got uh, different formats that even my book's out in. I think there's six or 7 ebook formats that are out there, something called soft covers, so you can read my book on your iPhone. You know, I, so, there's so many phenomenal ways in which we can access text today. And now with this HathiTrust uh, uh, way to access Google Books, new ways to access content in these millions of books. Uh, there's some phenomenal stuff happening there, and, and now I'm making a free ebook book myself, so you know I'm, I'm buying into opener number one. So I'd say that one. The other one that's kind of surprised me since the book came out is Obama's notion of free community college courses. So I think extending the MIT and hundreds of other universities putting up free content on the web, or what's called OCW or OER, I'd say number, opener number four, that would be. Uh, it has been kind of surprising that there's $50 million being put behind this to create free community college courses and free high school courses. We have a huge problem in our country at that age bracket of 16 to 20, 22, especially young men. If we can get free classes to get kids who are dropping out or thinking of dropping out of high school to get them to finish high school and then to get them a two-year degree, I think that's this is a this is a very smart direction for the country to go, at least to, to try something out. I mean, there, it doesn't hurt to, to, to see what's possible here. There's lots of new models combining college and uh, community college and high school in, in uh, North Carolina. I talk about, maybe it's in the free book, the Learn to Earn, uh, or Learn and Earn, where you have five years of high school and you get a community college degree as a part of that. You know, I think I think this, these kind of models make sense. We have to start thinking about that. So I'd say the fourth opener. I'd say the tenth opener, ten, tenth opener gets us into online language learning. And since I started writing the book, I'd say language learning online. The, the tenth opener is about personalizing learning. So I get into Facebook and MySpace and tutoring online and so forth. But I'd say Live Mocha People, if you haven't checked out Live Mocha, go to Live Mocha. It was created uh, by the in the Starbucks of Seattle by Sharish Nedkarmi, who created some uh, email on the Blackberry previously. Take a look at Live Mocha. You can teach a language or take a language online. Millions of people since 2007 have signed up to take or teach a language, and there's 160 hours of free content for like 20-some languages, Polish and Hindi and English and Chinese. A Chinese pod. If you want to learn Chinese, 300,000 people a month download free contents from Chinese pod podcast, Spanish pod, Italian pod, so forth. So these language tools, I'd say number 1, number 4 and number 10 have kind of taken off during the past couple of years. Number 6, which gets us into YouTube and Wikipedia and slash dot and dig, so people are students are participating in their own learning. See, Friedman talked about three P's. He talked about new players from Eastern Bloc countries and in India and China, a, a flattened uh, processes, management processes, more uh, less hierarchies, more um, collegiality, and he talked about um, new uh, playing, equalized playing field brought on by collaborative technologies, so that people in Malaysia can compete with us. Well, in education, we have three P's. We have we have piping or infrastructure, we have pages of content, and we have a participatory culture. These things are converging. And the 10 things, if any one of the 10 happened, any opener had happened, it would be a revolution. The fact that all 10 are happening simultaneously, it's phenomenal. You know, so I think this will be the learning century as a result. So number number seven, number eight, number nine, number nine gets us into mobile learning, which is fascinating as well. And if anyone wants a chapter from the free book that I'm working on, I'm happy to send. Just write to Kurt at worldisopen.com. I'll send you some stuff. I'm happy to send out. Uh, we get into collaborative technologies number seven. And so uh, you know, the ePALS projects at the K-12 level or the iEARN projects at the K-12 level. And then we get into virtual worlds and case-based learning, so augmented reality, alternative reality learning at opener number number 8. Uh, so I get into Second Life much more so in the free eBook than I did in in this book. It's hard to cover, I tell you what, um, Steve, it's it's really hard to address K-12, higher ed, nonprofit, government, military, in, one, in any one book, and, 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 so, and, and informal learning on top of that. Um, the fifth opener is important because we get into things like, um, let me see if I can just grab a, a, a sample book here. Um, of course, you've all seen Where in the World is Matt? I talk about Matt Harding and him dancing around the world. If you want a free book, this Opening Up Education book is free from MIT. It's more academic than mine, but it's a It's a nice um, free book that you can get. I'm just trying to find one more. Here. The link. When I came back from Korea on May 20th or 21st, I was in the airport in Indianapolis, and I got this book, and I got home, and I saw they had a website for the book, and Sir David Attenborough had a video explaining the book and the Public Library of Science had a free article about the book, uh, a science article in depth explaining the missing list link that had been found. The fact that I could learn about this through video, through pictures, through text, through um, all sorts of other links built within their website through scientific articles. In the book I also talk about the colossal squid. Information portals is opener number five. This colossal squid was found in Antarctica in February 2007 and it took 14-15 months for researchers in New Zealand to figure out how to thaw it out and when they did they thawed it out on Discovery TV and National Geographic so kids in schools could learn about this gigantic squid or the missing link at the same time that scientists do. So you find out it had eyes the size of soccer balls or a translucent body. So I guess what I'm pointing out is n- number five portals might seem boring stuff, it's just more content, it's just more more stacks of stuff, more pages of content, but in fact, when these portals are made interactive, it can be exciting. So those are some of the openers anyhow in the book, e-learning and blended learning is number two, um, that's really where most of my time is spent is on number two, but the other nine are just as important. And um, if anybody had learned online in 1950, that person would be Time Magazine's Person of the Year. Today, we've got millions of people learning online, and people yawn. So okay,
0: let's let's shift ourselves to sure. the Q&A portion, and we'll do so by, uh, I'm going to ask a question for Colleen. that. Uh, that, that's well back in the chat. But if you'd like to ask a question, you can put it in the chat or you can raise your hand by clicking on the hand with the green up arrow. Michael, you'll be the first if that's what you want to do. Um, and do be sure to have checked your microphone by going to Tools, Audio, Audio Setup to make sure your microphone is set up if you want to ask a, an audio chat or an audio question. So Colleen asks, um, the social network never turns off. No downtime ever. Well, maybe that wasn't fully really a question, but I'll ask the question for that, which is, how do we deal with just the enormous amount of content?
1: Well, that's, again, pairing it, pairing it back and looking at the quality. People ask the opposite question. says, as anything worth using, and so at the K-12 level, you might use Curriki. At the uh, higher ed level, you might use Academic Earth, YouTube, EDU, CNN, and BBC Video, Merlot, M-E-R-L-O-T.org, connections, you might constrain yourself to those places that have peer evaluations mapped into them. That will delimit, constrain your search through all this content and it will also be addressing the people who ask the quality questions at the same time. Even with that, you're still going to have too much content. So what I try to do is create guides for my class. I'll have 5, 10, 15 articles and I'll tell people, I, I do a Bernie Dodge, you know, kind of almost WebQuest-like i'll I'll say pick any four or five to read for the week. Here are ten that I'm fine. i'll I'll constantly switch the ten every semester. so I, I provide a palette with options, video options, text options, case a, case b. What the web lets you do, and what I talk about in um in my empowering online learning book is that there are options to everything. There might be a you know five or ten things you like to do, but there'll be five or ten, twenty different options.
0: Okay, so Angelica, I'm going to give you the mic. To turn your mic on, you click on the larger microphone button in the audio box. Please feel free to do that and ask your question.
1: Hello, can you hear me?
0: Yes, we can. Okay.
1: Great. Um, my name is Angelica Tork, and I am a student of Dr. Aaron Deerings at the University of Minnesota I'm in the Learning Technologies Program. In one of Dr. Deering's classes, we're learning about the differences between the learning sciences and um, instructional design. Uh, Dr. Bonk, where do you stand on that issue? Do you consider yourself a learning scientist or an instructional designer? Well, well my, my calendar is here, and I'll be in Minneapolis there uh, February 2nd, and Dr. Deering will be on a panel with me, so why don't you join us, and, uh, and, uh, <laughs> um, and I'll give you your million dollars for asking a qu- good question. Uh, I think what you are is fishing for an answer. Uh, (laughs) I, I, I see myself more, I was in learning sciences when learning sciences wasn't cool. I think learning science people are too constrained. I think they're all trying to create a new theory and we only get one or two new theories every decade. So we got thousands of people trying to create new theories. Um, I see myself kind of in between as a global educator. Uh, I was an educational psychologist, was a learning theorist. I moved into instructional technology. I really don't see myself firmly footed there either. Uh, and there's a lot of tension between instructional design people and learning science people today. We had a f- we had a f- falling out in my own department. Half the people, three four people left and went to start a new department. They got it got quite angry here. So. Um, I'm trying not to answer your question fully because there is a lot of tension still here at Indiana about the resolution, which doesn't exist. What I think needs to happen is that people in information science in the school of library, people in telecommunications, people in education, ed psych, and, and instructional design, and informatics, they all need to work together. That would be my solution if I was the president of a campus, I'd form a center where all these different people would be working together instead of trying to create their own little niche that doesn't really exist. That's a great question.
0: Okay, we have a question from Joe who says, what can we do in getting administrators on board for integrating various tools in their respective buildings?
1: Yeah, you know, when I have principals or deans come to ask if they should sit in my talks, I said, they're, they're the ones I want in the front row. Yeah, so I think number one, what happens is we need awareness. What happens after awareness comes resistance, then comes understanding, and then comes use. So I think, you know, I really wrote my book, the the first audience besides parents and kids was um administrators, because I think they were using Thomas Friedman's book for retreats. And I was hopeful that some would use this book for reflection or retreats or something else. They don't have to use my book. They use someone else's. So I think awareness, I think trying things out. Our, our dean started a, a laptop program for us. So if we get 16 hours of training, we get a laptop to use in our um, in our classes. And he's a promoter of it, but he's a user of it. So I think that principals, deans, and so forth, they have to become not, not just aware of, they have to be users of some of the technologies so what I talk about in my other book is low risk, low cost, low time activities. What are things that are and Bernie Dodge's WebQuest is among those. Um, so I think that's that's where we start with showing them what's possible, getting them on board within their own practices, having deans use wikis for agenda meetings, having deans use social networking tools to for uh, their own purposes.
0: So I'm going to interject here just for a second, because I think we're doing some things that might be apropos, Uh, one of which is we're starting an Administrator 2.0 network, much like Classroom 2.0, to help administrators actually be able to talk to each other and feel the benefits of that kind of communication. Um, So hopefully that will make a difference. And we're going to do a show called um, Superintendents Who Get It. We have a number of superintendents who are actually going to come on and talk about what they're doing uh, and 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 how they've been able to paint a model of success in an environment that traditionally doesn't reward that kind of risk taking.
1: So you're okay, creating so a community, which is important there, and then you showcase that community and you have a video of what so other people can tap into it. So yeah. It right. Sense. Well, one of the things that
0: I hope that Classroom 2.0 has done is it actually has given educators a real world experience with collaborating. And, and the idea is to do the same thing uh, with administrators. Michael, yep. I'm giving you the mic. You click on the microphone button in the audio box to turn your mic on. Let's see if
1: you can, there you go. Thank you. Uh, my question for you, if you were starting a school from the ground up, where would you start with some of this? I'm in the planning process of a charter school. We're looking to fuse project-based learning and service-based learning. And I'm using the world as open uh, to really guide my professional goals for this year. And where would you start if you could start a school over? You know, I you again, I go back to a brainstorming with, brainstorm with my teaching. And I think you have to. There we, go. You have to there we go. You have to mute you your mic there. I think. There we go. Well, I would start with uh, the own staff that I have, as well as staff from maybe nearby districts. Bring in some people who are close, close to your school, who are known for what, what, what they're doing with technology after your staff initially brainstorms with parents, with kids. It'd be a ground-up approach. I mean, I'd involve all players at some point. And, uh, and hear what not only what they have used in the past, what they'd like to use in the future, what the goals are, what are your objectives, state objectives that you're trying to meet. And then take a look at what are the simple things that can be done, not the far-reaching edgy, risk-taking kinds of things, but what are people comfortable with trying out? And you know if you can get people in their comfort zones and pushing a little bit beyond that, one or two new things, and the things that you know naturally that are fairly simple to do today, and I wrote a paper on this, uh, the use of video is exploding today. So how do we use shared online video to anchor or end instruction that students find? as well as instructors find. That would be one one way in which I can use technology that's not so different from what we're doing in the past. I do have Illich actually in the book. Thanks, uh, Leonard. So, you know, what are some technologies that we can dip our toes into without extending us too far and, and I'm happy to send you that article about the use of shared online videos. So that would be one, one technology that would be a, a simple one. A little far reaching but still not too hard is wiki spaces or you know wet paint or some kind of wiki tool within your classes to give students some more power. It sounds like you're doing PBL, project based learning. There are many examples in YouTube of schools that are new tech high schools. Uh, new Tech schools of some kind. I'm not sure if you're doing elementary, middle school, or high school. Um, you want to type in the chat window which, I maybe you missed that, um, which, it, which it was, high school. So the New Tech Highs have a tremendous catalog of examples that you should be looking at showcasing with your teachers for reflection. And then there's all these psychological learner-centered principles. How do, we, how do we connect the technologies to the learner-centered principles or vice versa? I don't think we should start with technology. I think we really have to start with uh, the learning that you would like to have happen and then look at the technologies that can help you meet that without... Um, necessarily going beyond your budgets that you might have. So what are some things that are freely available? And I just created a um, a, a one-page list of Web 2.0 technologies for K-12 schools. So again, if you send me an email at at curt at worldisopen.com that would give you a list of starter tools anyhow. And I think my R2D2 book might be a better book for you to read than the World is Open book for specific things you can try. Uh, the title of that is Empowering Online Learning, but it's not just my book, there are other ones out there. So right, if, I've write missed me the, an email.
0: if I've missed a question in the chat, I hope you'll forgive me, but uh, please post it again. Uh, we probably have time for one more quick question while we're waiting for someone to raise their hand or for a question to appear in the chat. I'm going to move us forward. Uh, just a reminder that Learn Central uh, and Illuminate get credit for helping to sponsor the webinar series. and I'm I'm going to leave up on the screen, the webinar's coming up. Uh, At the top of the hour, we're going to let Kurt go if he needs to go, Uh, but we typically will have a 10 to 15 minute post-show debrief in which you can stick around and keep talking with the other members of the audience if you'd like. Kurt, you're welcome to stay, but we also want to respect the fact that you've taken your time tonight.
1: I'm I'm going to stick around, so I'll hang around and ask a question. I see that there's a question that keeps coming up from Jackie. Uh, Gersten, she says, uh, what trends do you see for K-12 online learning? And um, I will be at AERA, Leonard, so yeah, you can catch me in Denver. Um, What trends do I see with K-12? Well, we see it's gone from 300,000 students online a few years ago to 600,000 within a year or two, and now over a million. So where I think online learning in K-12 is headed is into more of a blended I think uh, administrators are going to have to start thinking about how do you blend some of these mobile technologies, literacy trainings for younger kids as well as um, some course management systems at the high school level uh, Twitter, how do we how do we thoughtfully integrate technology so it's not an either or decision. It's not either we're taking a fully online course or we're doing a, a face-to-face one. I also think that a a lot of people aren't aware of where online learning benefits students beyond the traditional students. So we have kids who are homeschooled, kids who have special needs, kids who want advanced placement, kids who are a little bit behind. I think the awareness of the multiple ways in which online uh, plays out. And I just wrote an article about uh, ten different audiences for online learning for K-12, for uh, um, Uh, And actually, I'm doing a webinar in Madison in a couple of weeks for Inside the School. I think it's called Inside the School. If you type in the web uh, Inside the School and Bonk, you probably get this list of 10 ways that online learning has an impact in K-12 education, but I'm happy to send you that as well. I think that uh, what's going to happen with online in K-12 is we're going to go into a school at some point and pick our teacher, and so you'll have some online teachers coming to you. I think school districts are going to bring in math and science educators to help and provide supplemental support from other locations, other countries. I think your peer group will more ubiquitously come from other places around the world, your teaming projects and so forth. Um, it won't just be the kids down the street, although that, that will also happen. So. I know I didn't even touch an answer there, but <laughs> there okay, so so we are much. At, we're at the top of the hour. If you
0: have budgeted an hour and you need to go, please feel free to go. Uh, do know that when you leave, automatically in your browser will pop up a survey, and we'd appreciate if you'd fill that out. Just let us know how you thought the session went, and if there's anything that you'd like us to be working on that we're not. Thanks for coming tonight. It does sound like Kurt's going to stick around, so we will move right into the post-show. There were a couple of questions that I think came by in the chat. I wasn't sure you saw one. I think was for you, asking, Deb. is asking, are you into science fiction too? <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, I've got my Star Wars stuff, and you know, most of my uh, costuming when I am on the road uh, is usually science fiction. Sure, I love science fiction, movies and books, and sure. But um, I don't have really have time to, to read books, so I listen to books in my car. And most of those that I actually get a chance to listen to are, you know, the the ones that are non-fiction books, unfortunately. So Chris Anderson's free book and things of that nature, you know, I might.
0: So I really loved free But I had one kind of issue with it, which was I wasn't sure it was actually a new story. I felt like this is the same story. It's just that what we are capable of giving away now is so much greater because it's digital. It's cheaper to produce and cheaper to transmit. But in fact, I sort of felt like it was still part and parcel of the fact that we've given away, and he even gives examples of ways in which things have been given away in order to provide other services. So did you have, did, how did you respond to that? Because I sort of felt like, well, this is really fascinating, but I'm not sure it's a news story.
1: Yeah, well, I found it problematic that when I talked to him a year ago, and I wrote to Chris Anderson to try and interview him for my book, and he said, I, I'm not dealing with educators, <laughs> right? This is he flat out told me he's not interested in education, and now I see Educause saying he's the guy they need to bring to Educause. You know, and I'm like, here's a guy who flat out told me in an email he's not interested in education, but educators want to hear from him. This is the, you know, this is just the
0: <laughs>
1: thing that just bugs me. I mean, and, and he's, he's, he's trying to market himself, as you know. I mean, I don't really think he's I mean, I, I hate to criticize anyone because he does do a nice synthesis of the types of models that are out there to, provi- um, to provide free goods and services to the world. I think he, he does distill it down into an understandable set of models or concepts, but he doesn't address education to the degree that someone who is really interested in education would. He should have a whole chapter on the impact of education for educators if you you know if we really want them at at a conferences like Educause, you need to bring in you know, i mean I, i'm that's that's my feeling whether whether it's old news um, a lot of people need need to hear the old news they're not with you and i steve they haven't read all the stuff that you and i have but the freemium models are something that my company uses to i have a little thing called survey share we do online surveys and we used to do freemiums um, and i learned a little bit from reading it about what things i might do in my company to enhance our you know, product sales. So there's some good stuff in the book. It's not a, it's not a top, you know, five. It's maybe a three and a half, four.
0: You know. I do feel like the book turned out much better than the original article that previewed it that was in Wired. Yeah. Um, and I've really enjoyed it. But I, again, I sort of wish he'd said that this wasn't new. This is actually an old story, just changed by virtue of the digital's the, the ability of the digital world to 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 uh, to create and distribute content so cheaply. Um, so to link I it
1: to our, to link into the discussion tonight, this book is available free as a full mm-hmm. audio book. The, the the abridged version of audio you have to pay for, but the the unabridged is free. Go figure. He he just basically said that. Most people are on the go and they can't afford the time, so he, they'll, they'll buy the abridged, uh, but I think he's wrong on that, so, for educators.
0: So tell me how to say Corey Doctorow's name. Is it Doctorow?
1: That's how I say it, yeah, Corey Doctorow, oh. it, well, he's, because he's an interesting one.
0: Doesn't he, doesn't, isn't he a great example of this ability to provide things for free, really everything for free, but still have his uh, work become more noticed and, and uh, successful?
1: You know, Corey is uh, someone who did respond to me, uh, and I was surprised I got him to respond. Uh, he's, he's really pushed the field, because what Corey does is, the question that came up earlier about science fiction, Corey puts up science fiction books on the web, free, and then he also sells the book through Tor Books, and he sells more books as a result of this. Uh, he tells me, he says it's like blowing dandelions. The more seeds that are out there germinating, the more books he sells, so he's, he's got the blog Boing Boing, and he became a uh, fellow at USC last year or a couple of years ago after dropping out of college four times. He goes down and becomes the first Canadian fellow, I know it wasn't a Fulbright fellow, but some kind of fellowship at USC, without a college degree, talking to all these PhDs down the hall, uh, because of his innovation and interesting ideas about media and digital learning. And he's he's forced educators to rethink what we're we're doing. And I think that's good.
0: You know, Doc Searle, I love the phrase from Doc Searles that I've heard in a a YouTube talk I watched recently, where he said, uh, I don't make money blogging. I make money because of my blog. And I thought, that's a pretty interesting model that in fact, and you quote in the book, and I can't remember who said it, that, um, you know, people are more, they're, they need publicity more than they need money oftentimes. Say that correctly for me, because I can't remember what the exact quote is. Do you remember?
1: <laughs> uh, he does have it in the book. I could probably look that up. But, ba- yeah, basic, um, yeah. Was it, is but is it Tim does...
0: O'Reilly who said it? I can't remember.
1: Yeah, it might be Tim O'Reilly who says it. And, you know, my friend Terry Anderson at Athabasca has a book on theory and practice of online learning. And and Terry said he normally would sell 2,000 or 3,000 copies. So if you go to the web and type in theory and practice of online learning, you can get a free book. Hundreds of thousands of people have downloaded that book for free and, you know, he's doing a public good for the world. His reputation has gone up, right? I found it.
0: It's Tim O'Reilly says, my problem isn't piracy, it's obscurity. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and actually, you know, I talked to O'Reilly about uh, publishing my book, uh, but he did he didn't, but he asked for a copy later. So I don't know if he's read it, but it's um, a good sign. I hope he does. So.
0: Okay, so this is your time, audience. I want you to to raise your hand to grab the mic. This is a a little less formal. Uh, please uh, take advantage of this time to to ask a question or to grab the mic and let me know you want to grab the mic. Um, sure, fun to have you hanging around with us, Kurt. Um, Deb had asked another question. She said, how about the top-down approach? How can we get the top-down who are pushing technology down to the classroom and then you have teachers who would love to have it and use it if we only have lo- local support? I'm not sure I fully understand that. Yeah, Deb, well, are you it-
1: still there? Hey, Deb. You know, I, I think what, what has to happen is a combination. Uh, and Ted, Ted, who's been on here uh, quite a bit asking questions, is part of a program we had here in Indiana from 98 to 2003 for rural teachers throughout southern and central Indiana called Ticket. And within that project, we went to schools to do training as faculty members at IU. We also did online support. They also came to Indiana to get support, but their superintendents weren't getting them the technologies that they necessarily needed until we showed up in their school and that day all of a sudden everything would show up. Uh, the, the, so, I, I, Oftentimes teachers can ask for it but uh, until there's actually a moment where they see a dire need for it all of a sudden it will, it will appear. So, I, uh, A partnership has to happen and it can't be a one-off partnership. It can't be a one-day partnership. It, in our case it was a year-long partnership. And in some cases two or three years long. And so you know that that was a way in which we involved uh teachers that would do presentations to their administration at the end. We had teachers who were nervous about using technology in August, and by January, they were presenting at state conferences or national conferences how they integrated technology in their classrooms so I think thoughtful integration, pushing them, having plans we had you know, them to design a plan of how they're going to integrate and then we supported them and we gave gave them six graduate credits uh, from Indiana during that process. So there was a little bit of a carrot and stick, but there was also a a lot of support. So it's a, and I'm happy to send you the model, the ticket model paper if you're interested in seeing the different components. So it's top-down support as well as bottom-up, as well as in-between collegiality across departments. You need all that. It's, It's very complex. School reform is never simple.
0: Kurt, I'm going to let you read the question from Leonard that's in the chat while I answer one about Indiana and Linux, because I was just in Michigan City and um, wanted to report that that, um, the Indiana uh, Open Access Program, or the Access Program, um, has had sort of a a bump in the road because a lot of the people who were responsible for that at the Department of Ed have have, uh, been um, changed out with the change in administration. I firmly believe that we're not going to get to ubiquitous computing without open source. I've seen the models, I've seen the, you know, 80,000 computers in Brazil run by four people and just believe that the cost factor alone in open source is, is huge and tremendous. What's really interesting though is to watch how even with open source there are still the same issues of how do you help educators move to a model of integrating the computer into the classroom. It changes the financial dynamics. It can change some of the the teaching of what you teach in programming courses, but you still have these issues of helping educators shift to a computer-based classroom. And I think what they've done really sort of brilliantly at Michigan City uh, and in other places where that access program was implemented was to make sure that all the teachers in in a subject area were all having their classrooms converted at the same time, so they could support each other in learning how to revisit their curriculum based on having ubiquitous access to computing. And if anybody wants more information on that, please feel free to email me, because I can put you in touch with uh, Kevin McGuire at Michigan City. Okay, so do you have an answer for Leonard?
1: Yeah, I have a quick answer for Leonard, and I think he's right. I mean, we have this basic set of concepts and principles that people need to think from, and that really is my model in teaching face-to-face as well as online. The, I start with a lot of content on the front end, and then I move to PBL on the back end. I, I'm not a firm believer that PBL runs the entire course, or at least if the, you run it at the beginning, you have to have a reflection on what you learned at the end and, and tie it into concepts. And So I think if you have some courses with, and, and by the way, there's two, two new universities, University of the People and Peer-to-Peer University, which is taking this free stuff and offering guides within it at Peer to Peer University. Level level one is putting free stuff on the web, content stuff. Level two, you have some guidance. Level three, you get courses with degrees. And that's what University of the People is doing. They have 180 students the first semester, 800 instructors. So five instructors for every student. (laughs) Uh, They've had a lot of people sign up that want to teach online. But anyhow, I think what's going to happen is we'll have more things like Western Governors University uh, where it's outcomes based so you'll get credentialed on your basic skill knowledge and then there'll be the self-directed learning pursuits wrapped around that the exact models are still to be determined but I think that's where we're going it's not it's a guided discovery model so on the, uh, maybe a behavioral guided discovery model so we have these and by the way as a former accountant more is more if you haven't gotten a sense of that from the books, this is a thick book, More is More. Less is never more. I think it's a cop out, you know. I, I, uh, <laughs> Bill and Ted's excellent university.
0: <laughs>
1: so, you know, I, I I think he's right that we need to have a core set of knowledge. Whether you're learning it from a book or we're learning it from a podcast, or we're learning it from whatever, you do need that conceptual knowledge to, to think from. But we're going to have so many ways to push on from that knowledge, to push ahead of that knowledge that we're expanding. Hey,
0: we did a great interview on Tuesday night with Dan Willingham on why students don't like school. And uh, great content in here, great uh, discussion in here about the importance of content knowledge. I um, also thought it'd be fun to let you know that uh, I did an interview with um, the Nod School folks, both from the UK, Jean and Johnny, and with the Michigan folks.
1: Okay. Uh, and And
0: that, that's up from a couple of weeks ago. So if anybody's interested in that particular program, which is, which sort of fits the disrupting class model of emerging technologies solving problems on the fringes, uh, the idea that online learning can really help those who for whom traditional schooling has just not worked at all. Okay, so we've got a couple more minutes before we, well this. This has turned out to be. Just like the interview, we haven't gotten, I feel badly we haven't uh, been able to encourage more people to get on the mic, but we're sure glad you stuck around. Let's take a question or two more and then we'll wrap it up for the night. Sure glad to have had you here. Let's do some clapping now. I meant to do that earlier. This is me clapping for you, Kurt, for your coming on, for, for the book, for your obvious huge contributions, your busy travel schedule, and your props and, and sense of drama. How about that?
1: Uh, I'm glad to see we got, we got, we got Hope, and uh, Fred, and Jim, and Colleen, thank you very much, and Benjamin, and Bernie, and uh, uh, yeah, Aaron, thanks a lot, everyone. Um, I have a question for you before we go, the Not School, can you send me that link? Because I do talk about Knot School in it, and Not School's had some, uh, it's lost some of the leaders in it, so I'm glad to see it's still around. So if you could shoot me that on on email, I'd love to to read what's currently going on with not school. That would be great. And let me just plug a book from Peter Smith. Peter Smith uh, was the first president of Cal State Monterey Bay, and he's now at Kaplan. He has a book I just endorsed called America's Wasted Talent. It'll be coming out from Josie Bass in January, and he talks about these millions of people who are might be police officers or um, social workers that. You know, have the have the experiences to have a master's degree or something, but there's no way to get them the the training and the credentialing when they need it. And he points out new models uh, for teaching that are needed. And he was a president of a alternative community college in Vermont in the 1970s as a very young person. So he's been around for almost 40 years so he's worth listening to I think. Uh, he has a lot of new ideas about technology integration. It's America's Wasted Talent. Um, I'm forgetting the subtitle but it's just changed in fact. So, Other so questions I, from people? Go ahead.
0: I put I put the links in uh, for uh, Don, Don, Dan Willingham's session and then I just put in the one for not school. Uh, They're both there, and Kurt, I'll send it to you by email so you don't have to worry about capturing it. This show tonight will be captured. It's recorded. There'll be a link to a full live Illuminate uh, playback, and there's also going to be a link to an audio version for those who want to subscribe to the Future of Education podcast, uh, and also a chat log. So did I miss any final questions, or shall we wrap it up here? Oh, uh, Deb, you want to take the mic?
1: I think Jackie's got the link for uh, the Wiley book or Josie Bass book from uh, Peter Smith, and uh, so I'll just type his name in here, and then you got the link, so you guys can look it up. So they must have it up. So someone Kurt, has a question.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kurt, do you have any knowledge of any groups that are trying to tap into the elderly population as sources of knowledge?
1: Yeah, I have a colleague here at Indiana. Um, by the name of Lisa Huber, who has a uh, project or had a project called Get Links. It was all for dealing. She she deals in uh, the area of gerontology, and and I'm happy to to link you into Lisa L E S A Lisa Huber H U B E R, and that's her specialty is. Um, Uh, getting education out to the elderly, not necessarily going the opposite direction where the elderly are educating the younger people, but if you go to ePALS project, there's a couple of things happening at ePALS where um, people in nursing homes and so forth are giving kids feedback on book reports and stuff like that. So so there's a couple of things you might look up, ePALS and get links. And maybe Steve has an additional example.
0: No, I love that. Uh, I did not know about the pals. Um, I think that sounds terrific. I mean, I've obviously heard of some stories where uh, classes are going to nursing homes and doing oral, you know, recording oral histories of people, you know, so from World War II and the like. Um, but I do, uh, I, Deb. If you if you pursue that further and find out more, let's do a show on it because I love the the concept.
1: Can I can I do a quick uh, little plug for my Web 2.0 class in the spring? Absolutely. Uh, I am teaching an online Web 2.0. It normally is only face-to-face. This is the first time ever. If you go to my home page, the whole syllabus is up there. You can take a look, but it's going to be basically I'm changing it. The title was Web 2.0 and Participatory Learning. I'm changing it to um, The World is Open with web technology. So basically mapping out this book and um, Indiana University if you're, it's um, R685. If you're interested write me an email and I will get you um, uh, the links on that and uh, let me plug two more things. Um, In the spring there's a new conference called Global Learn. Global Conference on Learning and Technology that I'm helping create. It'll be every year in Asia and the Pacific Rim. It'll be in Penang, Malaysia in May, 17 to 20. Global Learn. That's that's exactly right from AACE. So if you type in Global Learn AACE, uh, proposals are due until December 20th. And I just had a little book come out called A Special Passage Through Asia eLearning. It's a little thin book. And all the people who wrote in here are coming to the conference and we're going to have an unconference before the conference on an island outside Penang, just for people who want to relax and chat and get massages and so forth and uh, talk about e-learning in, uh, around the world and global learning. So um, kind of fun stuff. Um, I just wanted to plug a couple things there. And
0: uh, yeah, so I'm going to see your plug and raise you one. Uh, that sounds really fun. I pulled up the website. Also, for those who are going to ISTE, we will be doing our fourth Con the Saturday before ISTE, the Unconference for Social Media and Education. That should be a lot of fun again. And uh, we're, again, this year doing um, what was it, NECC Unplugged, which is now ISTE Unplugged. Anybody who wanted to present at ISTI but didn't get accepted, you can present. We have a, s- a session area. You can sign up on the wiki for free, and you can present. And the same two programs are taking place at Q. If you're in California or on the West Coast, uh, we'll be doing EduBloggerCon West and Q Unplugged this year. And those are in early March. So, Kurt, thanks again, my final clapping. Look, we have 66 people still here. <laughs> Wonderful.
1: A lot of folks a hanging around you, hang around you tonight. Okay, so Maybe we have to... Go ahead. Steve, you know, if, sorry, ahead. I'd, love
0: to, I'd love to share something to the, whole, well, to the people left. There's a great feature here in Illuminate that I've discovered, and it's file, save, and then it's chat conversation, because this was a really rich chat. So that if, and I know people do go into recordings, but if you just want the chat and it comes up in a text document so you can read through, I just really like that little trick. Good. Love it. And I always put the chat log, just the log, also in the recording. So if you go to futureofeducation.com or learncentral.org and go to the actual event page, you'll see there's a separate link just for the chat. It's in RTF format, and if you don't know what that is, it's rich text file, I think, but so it is just the chat as well. So if you're welcome to do what you just described, Deb, which is a great solution, or just know that uh, if you miss it, it's still available on the actual activity page. Thanks, Deb. Thanks, Kurt. Thanks, everybody, for coming. We actually have to kick you out of the room in order for the recording to process. So as soon as you're done, just close the session down. Final clapping for Kurt, uh, and then if uh, if you're still around in a couple of minutes, you'll actually discover that I bump you out so the recording can take place. Thanks everybody for coming.
1: Kurt, final word? Yeah, I just want to say, if you, to link to everything, just worldisopen.com, you can get to my homepage, get to me, Kurt, at worldisopen.com, so don't type in the the, just worldisopen.com, you can find most stuff once you get to my homepage, so uh, I am going to do a course on instructional techniques through video conferencing in Indiana, if we have any people in Indiana interested in creativity and critical thinking, uh, that's in the spring as well. Thanks again for having me here.
0: Thanks, Kurt, you've been great, what a, what a treat, so nice to meet you.
1: Yep, yeah, same, same. I've heard a lot about you. I've been reading your stuff, uh, your your blog post for a <laughs> long time, let's just put it. Yep.
0: Uh, it's been a joy. Okay, have a great night. Thanks, everybody.
1: Thank you, everyone. Mahalo. Thank you, Benjamin. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Pamela. Thank you, Mumta. Thank you, Deb. Louise, Tracy. Pamela, Mel. Okay, I'm going to head out. Um, Joe? Uh, Traveling Edman on Twitter. Traveling Edman on blog. Try it out. Like uh, travel in with no G. Travel in Edman. See ya.